Weighing Machine was created to help you, the financial advisor or investor, reach your long-term financial goals. Each episode, your hosts, Rusty Vanneman and I, Robin Murray, cut through the market glamour to find the time-tested principles that help investors succeed. The Weighing Machine is inspired by the classic investing saying attributed to Benjamin Graham. The stock market is a voting machine in the short term and a weighing machine over the long run. In other words, emotion and expectations drive short-term market movement, but fundamentals and valuations determine returns over time. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. Enjoy, and as always, let us know what you think. On the podcast today, it's all about podcasting. Why should you start your own podcast and how do you do it? We will discuss the ins and outs of podcasting, what type of equipment you need, how long it should be, how to market your podcast. That's with our guest, David Ledgerwood, otherwise known as Ledge, the revenue leader and B2B podcasting strategist at Turncast Podcasting. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. I'm Rusty Vanneman. And I'm Robin Murray. Okay, let's start with a look at the markets. At last report, it looked like inflation may have peaked. Do you still think that's as concerning as it was a few weeks ago, or do you think the inflation picture is starting to improve? Well, I do think it's improving, though I still think inflation is going to be above average. And two quick things. So first of all, inflation expectations. You can survey people or you can look at market-based indicators. And one survey, well, actually many surveys are not good. Consumers are expecting inflation. Small business owners, it just has skyrocketed in terms of being a concern. Those are not positive. However, market-based inflation expectations, and you can do that by comparing the difference between like inflation-linked bonds and regular treasury bonds, that has an implied inflation expectation. Those numbers are improving, and that's a good thing because that often leads what actually happens. Peak inflation is a big term, and so why that's happening is so like the March consumer price index, when you include food and energy, was 8.5%. And in April, it came at 8.3%. So it's less bad. It sounds pretty bad. It is still bad. However, the markets usually respond to less bad. So that's a good thing. One thing about peak inflation, though, it doesn't mean prices are going to go lower or back to where they were. It just means the rate of price increases is slowing. So it's kind of a mixed bag. Yeah. All righty. Well, let's bring in our guest. David Ledgerwood is a revenue leader and B2B podcast strategist at Turncast Podcasting. Ledge, welcome to The Weighing Machine. So good to be here with you all. Heck yeah. All right, Ledge. So the toughest question is the first one, but it's also the most fun one, right? So what is your walk-up song? We got to imagine that music we can hear. My walk-up song is Motley Crue Wild Side. There we go. All right. I think that might be our first Motley Crue to the playlist. Mm. I think so too. I went through it. It's quite a good playlist. I could definitely jam to that all day long. Excellent. Mix. Nice. Excellent. There are some curveballs on the playlist, particularly the uh, the South African folk song, right, Robin? Well, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you got to have some diversity in there, right? <laughs> exactly. Okay, Ledge, so looking through your LinkedIn profile, which I did getting ready for this interview, you have a long and varied list of professional experiences. I think I counted 24 places in the last 20 years, but a lot of that experience overlaps, <laughs> right? You were doing multiple things right. at one time. So can you tell us more about your background and some of the common threads that run through those experiences? Yeah, absolutely. There are many overlapping things. I caught the sort of personal portfolio bug at certain points and learned the hard way why one should focus maybe on one, maybe two things at a time. So that's an overarching lesson. 
I came out of school and worked in PricewaterhouseCoopers Consulting at the end of 99 and in the 2000, you know, era and uh, got to experience the whole like tech and consulting and Enron meltdown in real time. And, you know, that was my first recessionary experience. And since that time, as you all know, there's been a few of those. So <laughs> it's always a good time to, you know, experience a different version of that. Uh, I went into uh, private internet media when that was an early thing. And all along the way, I really thought a lot about entrepreneurship. And that wasn't, you know, now I think people think startup and, you know, it's a pretty common thing to have entrepreneurship courses and have, you know, all kinds of experiences and you can read up on the internet and, you know, do your own education. None of that really existed back then. So it was a little weird when I quit my job in 2007 and moved to a new city and said, you know, we're going to start a consulting company and here's what we're going to do. And some 13 startups later, there's all kinds of projects and interesting experiences. But the one thing I took away was none of that matters if you don't have revenue. And since nobody else was selling anything and we just kept hiring people, I needed to sell. And so I learned the hard way how to do that. And then I became kind of good at selling. So then I did selling for other people and and I liked it. I liked getting the win. And then we, we built a company recently around... Uh, sales and, you know, sort of marketing sales, revenue, machine development, if you will, and, and closing deals. Right. And along the way, podcasting was a big piece of that because it, as we'll talk about, it was, you know, all about relationship building and mm -hmm. how do you get on calls with people, particularly when you're in um, an all video environment. I started selling on Zoom because I had to in 2013. And it was weird, you know, at the time to call people on to a uh, a Zoom call mm -hmm. to do sales, but I just thought it was better to have that video connection. And we just kept advancing that. And then we, we took it in the direction of, you know, maybe it's not a discovery call or a coffee meeting. Maybe we can record an interview with someone and we can really honor their expertise and talk to them and ask questions. And there was that old adage that, uh, you know, the most interesting person at the cocktail party was the one who asked all the, the questions. And then we got cocktail parties yanked away from us. So might as well start asking questions in a different way. So that that fit into the equation too. So it was just sort of like all the collections of how do you do business? And a lot of that was relationships and networking. And turned out podcasting was a pretty awesome way to do that. And it, it checked a lot of other business boxes too. Right. So you are now the revenue leader and B2B podcast strategist at Turncast Podcasting. That's previously known as Reverb. And we should disclose that Turncast produces this podcast. Um, tell us more about Turncast and what you do there. Yeah, absolutely. Because I became sort of enamored with this space. One thing that you find with podcasting is that it's like many, let's say, channels and technologies like YouTube, for example, they all pass through this sort of consumer stage and then become relevant to business. And podcasting has done that. And I became particularly interested in B2B podcasting. You know, what would that, what would that be like to use this, this channel? And then as that continues to niche out as all good experiences and businesses do, Turncast is specifically focused on how do you use podcasting and take all the work off the table for the business so that businesses and financial services and fintech can specifically utilize that channel. And that has a lot of different flavors 
for that particular area. One of the biggest ones is how do you deal with compliance? Because particularly in financial services, you know, everything has to pass through sort of a compliance officer or compliance department. You just can't post your thoughts out there like a Joe Rogan, right? You know, you need to be able to, to pass that through certain workflows to make sure that it's allowed and safe to say. Just ask Elon Musk how that goes if you don't do that. We built a workflow at Turncast around doing that specifically, and then also taking all the hard work out of a podcast so people like us can show up and do a recording and do a session and focus on our expertise, You know, be subject matter experts, have conversations, and then not have to worry about all the other things about like going out there and getting published and having the right graphics and words and distribution. You know, there's so much work around podcasting back in, you know, 2007, maybe with the YouTube sort of era started. And at that time it was, you know, revolutionary and, and has now gotten to the point where anybody can kind of point and click and put video out and do editing and things of that nature. I imagine podcasting will go that way where you won't need a great deal of help to distribute a podcast, but it's not there yet. And so businesses can take advantage of a service like ours to get a lot of that work off the plate and, and focus on what's valuable. A lot of good stuff there. I did like the expression, honor their expertise. You know, that, was, that was a cool expression. So obviously the podcast industry is exploding and it's just been booming. And you know, there's an article that I just came across that, that's expected to be a $4 billion industry in a couple of years. We'll make sure we'll put that article in the show notes. I personally think podcasts are so much more than just revenue generation. I mean, it's, you know, there's kind of some non-economic benefits to it as well, but nonetheless, can you tell us what kind of growth you've seen in the industry? Yeah. In our particular, let's say the B2B niche where I live, it's interesting because Everybody, because of the popular press like that around podcasts, they focus on things like, well, there's going to be 180 million listeners and, you know, I don't know what, 56% of all U.S. adults listen to podcasts and, you know, sort of on and on with these commercial based metrics. And I think that's important. You know, there's yes, there's a tremendous amount of ad revenue that's going to start passing through. Uh, but you really want to look at, like, how is a business going to you know, think about monetization and one of the biggest misnomers is that, you know, people look at consumer-based podcasting, which is, you know, the top categories are going to be, you know, I don't know, music and sports and entertainment. Comedy is huge, right? Like all those ones in the top. What's interesting, though, in the top, you know, sort of seven categories, two of them are business related and it's going to be around news and then, you know, around sort of business itself. And those draw listenership, but they don't draw a huge listenership unless you really work on it. So I think the point to take away is podcasting is growing tremendously as an industry. And then from the business context, do we want to behave in a way that says, well, we just want to get as many listeners as possible, which is really almost like the old radio sort of commercial based enterprise. Like, yes, you can run ads on podcasts, but what else is there? And we should run ads. We should think about spending some of our paid media in the podcast space. But what else is there, you know, with a podcast? And so how do we produce a property that is valuable on, you know, many different levels? So that's how I think about the industry. I might not care about having thousands or tens of thousands or millions of downloads like a big show, but I really care about 
the targeting of who are the right thousand people that I want to hear that show because it makes some difference in a business metric. Right. I agree. So in terms of podcasting, do you think it will plateau at some point or just simply go out of style? I mean, what do you expect for the industry moving forward? I think there will be a leveling off. I mean, at some point, you know, you're consuming hours of audio, right? And even if you were to spend all your waking hours consuming audio, you would at some point run out. And you see, for example, you know, certain generations consume certain amounts of media, like TikTok now just passed YouTube for younger generations, you know, three hours a day. Well, like, let's hope that peaks because I don't know what else everybody's going to do with their time. And I know some of those are probably my kids and they might even be skewing the YouTube average, you know, higher for everybody else. I think in that same context, you know, there's a limited amount of attention. However, podcasting offers an interesting dynamic because it's audio and we know audio consumption goes up while people are driving, while people are doing chores, they're doing other things they like to consume audio, thus making it very different than video consumption. So if I see growth, it's going to be on the vector of educational content that has an interesting format that hooks people into a regular behavior on a show. And a great example of that would be, you know, sort of, I wonder what the entrance song is going to be for this guest. Like you now have a hook that you always start with. That's a great show format. And then I expect when I come on the weighing machine that we're going to have a, a macroeconomic, you know, sort of tidbit, right? That's great. I like learning things. Okay. Now I'll stick around for the guest. And you've done a good job there. That's the stuff that matters for building a show that, you know, has some stickiness. I enjoy listening to it as as that consumer of information. So to get back to the core question, everything peaks, you know, there ultimately are not enough humans to do all the things that you want them to do, but has it peaked yet? No. And can you reach into this in a sort of niche fashion and use it in a different way? Yes. And that's where businesses should be focusing. Right. Well, so when we talked about your career experience, you've basically now at Turncast combined your interest in sales, podcasting and finance. So why do you think podcasting makes sense for the financial industry specifically? And why should financial advisors consider having their own podcast? Yeah, there's different paths to thinking about this, you know, from a financial advisor standpoint, we're interested in thinking about, you know, what is the best way, again, to have conversations, authentic relationships with the people with whom I might want to do business. And in this case, it's, you know, you need a really close relationship and a trusted relationship to manage somebody's money. And particularly somebody who, you know, now, how do I bring them into, you know, my practice? And uh, it's a really good vector to do that. We all probably remember the days when LinkedIn was new-ish and all you had to do was sort of just send a message to somebody. It was like, hey, you know, I uh, I noticed you're the CEO of something and, you know, that probably means that you have some money and you need somebody to manage it. And, you know, would you like to have coffee? Like it's saturated, right? That's not going to work. So we need to look for other ways to have relationships. I also think it forces, particularly a financial advisor, to think of like, what thing am I an expert in besides just, you know, sort of making a plan for spending assets under management properly. Because 
If you have to be a subject matter expert in something to have an engaging conversation, that's a really good thought exercise to go through. We have one client, for example, it's a practice that a group of practices, you know, that focus on orthopedic surgeons or, you know, doctors of different types. And they have a show that focuses just on that, where they get to now reach out and interview people who are that type of surgeon. Now, yes, they want to have them be a client, but they get to talk to them first about their expertise and seem credible in that arena because the show is about that. And I think that type of thing is where an advisor can really break out and just get away from this really poor marketing notion of, you know, I just want to talk to rich people or I just want to talk to people with money who need something managed because that's not a way to build a compelling conversation with somebody and it doesn't help you stand out. But if you could say, you know, I work primarily with small business owners who are multi-generational and are handing off their business to their kids when they want to retire and go in their RV and I have a show about something that relates to that. Now I have a compelling reason to reach out to a third party who doesn't do business with me and have a conversation about something they care about, thus entering authentically into their universe. So if you're strategic about it, that's why it's really good for advisors. Now, if you go to the FinTech or you know, sort of other financial services or things of that nature, the same principles can apply because you're looking to do maybe business with different institutions or you know, people that have or other businesses that you want relationships with. And so let's make a show related to talking to people like that. It's really that, you know, conversation vector and then turning it into a format that's educational and useful for people who are in that peer group. So again, it's, I think the opportunity to articulate your value add, but there's sort of an operational efficiency of having a podcast with some sort of regular frequency that somebody can count on you know, to, it's an ability for advisors to regularly educate and encourage, you know, their clientele and prospective clients as well. And in a way, it's a business card too, I suppose. So I think there's so many reasons why advisors could consider doing their own podcast. All right. So let's say I am an advisor and I do want to have my own podcast. At minimum, what kind of equipment do you need to even start your own podcast? Yeah. If you want to do it yourself, there's tons of resources about this online. And we could even you know, show people some guides to things like that in the show notes. The magic about it is it's really not that complicated. You could honestly do it at bare minimum with a decent microphone that you can plug into your computer. All of us have one of those, you know, on the on the recording now. And those, you know, 100 bucks maybe to get a, a decent mic. You can probably do it even cheaper than that. If you're going to do video, just a decent webcam. You can accomplish a lot by sitting in a good location that just has better sound, you know, soft surfaces in the room so you don't get an echo, things like that. What I have found is really interesting is that most of us have now set up home offices or collaborative workspaces because of the pandemic that achieve a lot of those things simply because we don't want to be the one that looks and sounds awful on the regular Zoom calls for business. So it corrected for a lot of the stuff that we would have to do in podcast land to help Originally, almost everybody has a good setup now, and it's not just, uh, you know, sort of a, a mess in, you know, a conference room where the sound is bouncing all over the place and, and things like that. So basic mic, basic webcam, a lot of stuff that people have already, and you can get started recording. It's really about the conversations. There's a lot of benefit to doing practice runs and just recording conversations 
and building up a little backlog there. And then you think about what to do with it. So many people have these conversations over a coffee or, you know, just networking with their friend or a potential client or colleague. And they go, wow, that was really smart. I wish somebody wrote that down. I think we just encourage people use the recording mechanism so that you have that raw content and then we can push it through the editing process. I have a related question because you mentioned this earlier. I didn't really think about it. So obviously Zoom sales have become an important part of all of our lives right now. Any recommendations on kind of the setup to do, you know, the video for a Zoom call? Yeah, I do find the lighting is really important. You'll see we're not watching the video, but you all can see a I just have a neutral background behind me so that, you know, I don't show people my house and things like that. So a simple curtain, you know, about 50 bucks for a couple of stands and that's behind me. I did personally, because I do this all day long for selling, I bought some LED panel lights that will allow for, you know, nice lighting and, you know, indirect lighting. And I think the setup is important. Wear a good shirt and get the anti-glare thing on your glasses that costs an extra hundred bucks because otherwise you can see everything that's on your screen on the Zoom call. You know, there's a couple of tricks there, but I know I work in practice, particularly on what is my, you know, stage craft, given that my, you know, whole presentation now resolves around this little tiny window with a very small frame. For example, if you're someone who is a hand talker, you need to learn to align your hand talking into frame. So that when you're illustrating things to your clients or prospects, they can actually see it. You learn about keeping eye contact on a camera, not on the guest or, you know, on the other person in the frame, because that doesn't look like you're looking at them, you know, and there's a whole lot of stuff that you need to do to kind of set up and be on stage a little bit more than you would have had to do on a phone call you know, where you could pace around and, you know, everybody has their own sort of, you know, boiler room type of sales process. You're now locked in this little box and the little box is the only place you get to do anything. So perform and be willing to watch your own recordings and cringe at yourself because you will learn your filler words and your facial tics that you want to get rid of. <laughs> it's hard to do still, even after all these podcasts, it's still hard to do it. All right. So when it comes to a podcast and you've kind of touched upon this already and not all podcasts are successful, but what do you think are the qualities of a good podcast? I mean, the first thing, right? Like, again, like I live mostly in the business context. So, you know, the first thing I think of is like people think a lot about business podcasting or podcasting for business and they go, well, what if it fails? And I go, okay, what does that mean to you? You know, what are we measuring when we say fail? And almost invariably, when you get down to it, people are really consumed with this vanity metric of downloads or listens, which different platforms will call, you know, this, the same thing. But I kind of go like, OK, but what are those listens and why do they matter to your business? Because in the right context, 10 people listening who were the right people would be a great thing. So we're all trained to think about media ought to be blasted out to all kinds of millions of people because I care about impressions for advertising. Well, if my business isn't based on advertising, I don't care. But what do I care about? Because now I have to be able to measure a thing that I've never done before 
and I need to be able to walk in probably to a meeting and justify budget about it and say, we achieved this, which is better or worse than what we set out to achieve. But you all know, like, if you don't set a goal, there's nothing to measure against. So we might care about downloads or we might care about having the right guest or we might care about making educational content that someone mentioned on a call or, you know, let's figure out like how we make success. Now, what makes a good show is the things we talked about from a, you know, format has to have a little hook to it, has to be interesting, has to provide some compelling reason to keep coming back. What you're really trying to do as a host or creator of a show is develop the habit that a listener will keep coming back because they like the experience of being a listener and they'll subscribe to your thing and they'll keep coming back on a regular basis. Now, what does that translate to? You probably don't want to have the disposition of, oh, I'll just do a 10 episode season where myself and my partners will sit down and wax philosophic about how smart we are and how different our business is. And then we'll just leave it there and never come back. Like what we do know about podcast statistics is that it's a habitual medium and people want to get hooked on a thing and keep coming back to it. Seasonal distribution, despite that everybody comes in wanting to dip their toes in it, we actually advise against it because the statistics will show you that's not as valuable as creating that ongoing, I know every Wednesday I'm going to have an episode and I make it part of my routine to listen to that episode. I get excited about it. And that one thing, the consistent habit of creating is where most of the value comes from. And it's also the hardest thing to do, which is why you might deal with a partner like Turncast, because we can do all the other things that will stop you. I can't help you build a habit except by making you relatively accountable to keep doing the thing that you're doing. Part of which is paying your bill. You know, you're kind of now subscribing to a really good gym. And if you don't go, you're still going to get billed and you're still not going to be in shape. But if we can make those goals together, we can also be like the trainer in that gym analogy, like that makes you show up and makes you get in shape and do the things you're supposed to do. And then that whole property and the business value will be healthy. And I think that's the key to it. Yep. Okay. Here's another question. So this comes up a lot. What are the pros and cons of long and short form podcast? And is there a sweet spot to a good podcast? I have read in, you know, sort of pay attention to the industry press and there are now burgeoning studies where people are trying to figure that out and it ebbs and flows up and down. And the reality is like, it should be as long as it takes to be good and to like have a good conversation in the same way that it doesn't matter how long a movie is if the movie is good. You know, we all, I don't know if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you sat through three and a half hours because you liked it. You didn't sat through three and a half hours because it's the ideal length to make a movie. It was a good story and you wanted to keep watching. So, you know, in the average context, around a half an hour is good, half hour to 40 minutes. That's a nice interview length after fully edited but there's also no reason that you couldn't have a very compelling thing that went longer. I think people try to stretch them for some reason, which makes the end boring and meandering and people will cut off there. So there's a really good reason to do a 10 minute snippet. That's actually super powerful and well edited 
there's a good reason to have a good conversation that's a half hour or up to an hour or whatever it takes. The thinking is be thoughtful about what that format and strategy is, like have a reason for being that long. If you're just rambling, you're boring then. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a bit more about marketing your content. So I've read that when we're talking about marketing and distributing your content, that we should be spending 20% of our time producing or creating the content and 80% of the time distributing it. So you talked about, you know, it's not necessarily about how many downloads or how many people you reach, but whether you're reaching the right people. But how can a podcaster in our industry, you know, reach those right, that right audience and market their content? I'm a big fan of content reuse. I love podcasting because it's not just about the podcast. It's forcing you to have conversations and have the discipline to record. Now, the excellent thing about software now is that Maybe right now you don't want to use the video, but you could. And you're recording all that as part of that interview process. It's automatic. We're all right now sitting on a tool that allows us to record all those things. Now, what do I have from a marketing standpoint? I've got audio. I've got video. I've got half hour to an hour of words. If you transcribe half hour to hour of words and you can do so for relatively cheap, like a dollar, dollar 25 a minute, if you use a service, you just had somewhere between 15 and 30 pages of content. Now you can sit and be an editor if you want to and turn that into blogs. You can turn it into eBooks. You can turn it into all kinds of interesting stuff, a bunch of different emails that you can send out to your prospects. You got quotes, you got items that you can pull out, turn into nice graphics. We do that for you. You've got all kinds of ways that you can tag in additional people and have conversations around it. So yes, you've got a podcast and you executed on that channel, but what else you have is the seed content that you really never had the discipline to sit down and do anyway. And I can guarantee you, if you work with marketers, particularly at an institution, They really, really wish that you would sit down and record some stuff because they're drowning in the need for more content. Now you can provide that to them. It's really good to support your marketing partners with that. And you can turn it into whatever you want, leave it on the shelf, hand it over to an editor, like any way you want to fund that, you now have all the smart things that you and your guests have said that belong to you. You have a library that is is really starting to get your, your thoughts out there. And it's the usage then of that. So put those things out in print, put them on email, put them in social media if you use those channels, post the videos on YouTube. But the idea also is that you always need to tag people. You need to get other people invested in the content and you need to be disciplined and know that it takes forever Ask a, a YouTube creator how it felt to make their first 200 videos when no one listened, no one cared. And then eventually one video hit and they went out and got popular. That incidentally is why I'm just a big advocate of, you know what? I only care if one person listens and cares about this thing and it's my guest. So if I can make a thing where the conversation with the guest is the most important conversation that matters I don't care. Like every additional listener is an added marginal benefit to that because I really just recorded the call that I actually wanted to have. So that's your backstop. Then after that, talking about promotion, you just sort of get to add everything to it. All those topics I just talked about, those are organic topics. 
which is to say like we don't have to pay for them. There are all kinds of paid distributions that you can also do. If you really want to get 40,000 downloads, that can be done, but it's going to take, you know, paid to, to drive that. And there's good reasons to do that too. It just depends on how your paid budget, you know, kind of lays out. That was a good question, Rob, and a great answer, Ledge. I like that one. That was that was tasty. All right, so in terms of regular questions, I hope this is a hook. I have to admit, it's one of my favorite questions on each podcast, and I think you know some of the guests have really enjoyed it too uh, by the tone of their voice, but I haven't heard any listeners say, oh, I love that question yet, but I'm sure they do. <laughs> so we obviously have an expectation to perform at a high level. So what are some practices that you have to maintain you know, your wellness and your health, physical or mental, to make sure you're performing at a high level? I read this question on your planning and you know, I really, I thought about it and I'm in my mid forties. Uh, my hair is not on my head anymore. <laughs> my beard is turning gray. I got five kids and I kind of go, okay, you know, what do I do here to stay healthy? And I think it's about balance. I do try to, you know, sort of do the physical workout stuff not put too much crap in my body. Although I did eat two hot dogs at the game last night. <laughs> it could have been three, you know, still. <laughs> it, could have, it could have been three. I really wanted to have the third one, but uh, they didn't have any more at the stand. So I think it's about balance. I think you need to maybe have at least just a basic checkbox of what am I doing, you know, for body, mind and soul and, you know, finances and whatever. Like there's a lot of stressors. And if you just sort of have a basic checklist of your priorities, I like to think of it as make one thing better in each box if I can each day. And that could be as little as like, you know, I just wiped the sink in the bathroom and put my toothbrush away. But like I made one thing better in my living space. And then did I make one thing better? in my parenting box, you know, just like make sure you give your kid a hug because they had a, a test today. Clean up around my desk, you know, install one program that I've been meaning to do, pay one bill. You know, I just, I think it's about little stuff and that's it, not dissimilar to what people would say for like, you know, a sort of broken window theory or, uh, you know, make your bed every day. I don't make my bed every day, but choose little things, I think. And, you know, take a walk, like if you're not gonna work out, so what do I do? I just try to, you know, have, have that basic sense of, of balance. And I also drink a lot of caffeine. I don't know if that's healthy, but <laughs> I can own that. It's about so. performance too. So there you go. All right. All right. Well, this has been a really great conversation. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. And tell us how can listeners stay in touch and learn more about Turncast and what you do? Well, you can go to turncast.com, which is like it sounds, the combination of turnkey and podcast. And be happy to have a call with you if you want to just submit on that form there. Anybody who wants to look me up, just Google David Ledge, Ledgerwood, and my LinkedIn should come up the top there. I'd be happy to, to connect and share lots of stuff about podcasting and sales. Ledge, I really appreciate your time, but I have one more question and I can't believe we didn't ask this. You are a podcast guru. Do you have favorite podcasts you listen to? You can't say The Weighing Machine because I know that's already on the list. You don't even have to say it. You don't have to put it on the list. Right. It's but what list. are some of your favorites? You know, people ask me this and I don't know if it's like a function of sort of like, you know, like a, like a chef doesn't eat their own food or what. Like I do this all day long, like almost all the time. And 
if I'm in the car, like I, I'm a rabid consumer of fictional books on Audible. So it's not really a podcast. I sometimes listen to Darknet Diaries. But, you know, just in general, like I'm not a rabid consumer of podcasts. And I think it may be just is that I input so much into the space that I just want to go do something else, you know, later you're on. You're playing Motley so, Crue is what you're doing. I do listen to a fair amount yeah. of uh, 80s metal. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thanks again. Yeah, good, good stuff. to be here. Well, that is going to do it for this week. Yeah, thanks, Fletch. And Rusty, take us out with your final words. Invest well and be well. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to The Weighing Machine. And thank you for your time and trust in Orion Advisor Solutions. The Weighing Machine is hosted by Rusty Vanneman, Chief Investment Strategist at Orion Advisor Solutions, and me, Robin Murray, freelance writer and editor. If you have feedback or questions about our podcast today, please send us a note at rusty at orion.com. All opinions expressed by Rusty Vanneman and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and don't reflect the opinion of or endorsement by Orion, its affiliate subsidiaries, and its employees. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for legal, tax, and investment decisions. The opinions are based upon information that participants consider reliable.